All right, so today is Monday, June 28th, and this is Daily Power Parsha. The Torah portion this week is Pinchas. All right, and we have an action-packed, like literally an action-packed um, discussion this week. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of, uh, a lot of insights, a lot of lessons, a lot of zealotry. So we kind of set the stage for our discussion at the end of last week's portion where, um, where we spoke about the... Hold on one second. Okay, where we spoke about the... Um, where we spoke about... Here we go. Where we spoke about the, um, the story at the end of the portion with the... Um, the daughters of Midian, the daughters of Moab that were kind of enticing the Jewish men into sin, immorality, and then adultery, and then idolatry. All of that stuff was going on. And Pinchas, who was a, um, a member of the Levite family. So Pinchas goes ahead and he takes matters into his own hands by spearing um, the, the Jewish man and the Midianite woman who were engaged in a, in a illicit relationship. So this, that was the end of last week's portion. We're going to jump in, um, with the reading today. So let me pull it up. Let's find this in the browser. Give me a moment here. streaming live on YouTube? Yes. So, I mean, the, as participants, so we'll be on it too then, right? We should, and I spotlighted, I spotlighted my, my video, so it should not have anybody else on it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna try it, we're gonna see how this works, and if it, this is just gonna be a test today to see if, it's, if it saves a step in, in whatever, we're gonna see how it works. If, if it doesn't work out, then it's, it's not gonna show up, so. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let me share my screen. Give me a second here. And let's see how this is going to work. Let's try this again. All right. Screen share. Pinchas. Boom. Okay. So this is what we got. All right. Torah portion Pinchas. We're going to do the first two readings today. And um, we are going to learn the stories and delve into some insights. So here we go. Numbers chapter 5, verse 10. The Lord spoke to Moshe, saying, Pinchas, Phinehas in English. I'm going to go the Hebrew name because it's easier for me to, <laughs> to pronounce. Pinchas, the son of Elazar, the son of Aaron the Kohen, has turned my anger away from the children of Israel by his zealously avenging me among them, so that I did not destroy the children of Israel because of my zeal. So again, let me just unpack this, this verse, really important verse. God is basically saying, first of all, we have an introduction of who Pinchas was. Pinchas was, was the son of Elazar, who was the oldest remaining son of Aaron, the high priest, who had passed away at this point. So we have Aaron, who was the brother of Moses. He had four sons. Right, he had 
Nadav and Avihu, they had passed away. And then Elazar and Itamar, they were alive. So Elazar was the one who took over as high priest from his father. Remember when his father went up on, on, on top of the mountain to pass away, and he, he took off his priestly garments and gave them to his son. So that was Elazar. Elazar became the high priest. And his son was Pinchas. Right? So that is, that is the family tree. Um, let's welcome Ray and Mark. Hey, guys. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Okay, so this is what we got. We got the family tree here of Aaron, his son Elazar, and Elazar's son Pinchas. Now, here's the very important piece of information that you need to know. Pinchas, and let me just check in. Can you guys see the screen? Can you guys see the, the Torah reading screen? Yeah. Yes. Is it nice and big like usual? Yeah. Beautiful. All right, so Pinchas was not a Kohen. This is the very important piece of information. Pinchas was not a Kohen. Now you're probably wondering, how is he not a Kohen if his father was a Kohen and his grandfather was a Kohen? The answer is because, Pin, because the kahuna, the priesthood, only went to Aaron and his two sons, who were alive, Elazar and Itamar, and any children that would subsequently be born from Elazar and Itamar. In other words, at the moment that the priesthood was granted, it was given to Aaron, to his sons, and any future progeny, of which there were, of course, you know, enough to keep the priesthood going. But Pinchas was the oldest son. And Pinchas had already been born at the time that the kahuna, the th time of the priesthood, was granted. So again, I just want to break this down to make sure you're understanding what I'm saying. Pinchas was alive when God appointed Aaron and Elazar and Elazar's brother Itamar as Kohanim, as priests. But Pinchas, as the grandson, was not then appointed as a Kohen. He was not appointed as a priest because he was already born and he was a grandson. He was third generation. He was not born into it because it just started at that point for the first and second generations and for subsequent births. Pinchas, having already been born, was not a Kohen. So what happens here it Sorry? So he wasn't grandfathered in. Ah, I love that. Right, literally, he was not grandfathered in. Exactly, quite literally, he was not grandfathered in. Or grandsoned in, in, that, in this case. So, but look what he says. Look what God says. Pinchas, son of Lozor, the son of Aaron, the Kohen, has turned my anger away from the children of Israel. Right? The plague was 24,000 Jews died in that plague, and it stopped when Pinchas speared uh, Zimri and Cosby, the Jewish leader and the Midianite princess, in the act of immorality and idolatry. So he turned God's anger away by zealously avenging me among them so that it did not destroy the children of Israel because of my zeal. So look at the, so, so what's the, okay, and so, so therefore what? Take a look at verse 12. Therefore, God says, say, I hereby give him my covenant of peace. So God says, I hereby give him my covenant of peace. That is a euphemism. Briti Shalom, my covenant of peace, is a euphemism for the priesthood, which is then specified clearly in verse 13. It shall be for him and for his descendants after him as an eternal covenant of kahuna. Kahuna means priesthood. Eternal covenant of kahuna for him and his descendants. In other words, he now earned the priesthood by doing what he did. He wasn't grandfathered or grandsoned in. 
right? Because it was our, it was granted while he was alive and, and he kind of missed the boat. But because of this action, God says, I'm making him a Kohen. I'm making, I'm giving him the eternal covenant of Kuna priesthood because he was zealous for his God and atoned for the children of Israel. And I need to point out the obvious, I think it's obvious, the obvious, maybe the right word is contradiction, or the obvious sense of slight discomfort here. You have someone who does, by all accounts, a violent act, right? He takes a spear, right? Takes a spear, and I don't know if this is a verb. I'm going to use it as a verb. Shish kebabs, right? Shish kebabs, um, the Jewish guy and the, and the Midianite woman who are, who are in, the, in, the, in the middle of, the, of, of, of an act of sin. And that is an act of violence. It's called here zealous. It's zealotry. It's like almost like vigilante justice. And yes, it is Jewish law in such a case when you have a public desecration of God. Again, someone sins or they do their thing. All right, listen, it's no one's business, right? It's between them and God. But someone who publicly does this, remember, the, the, Israel, the, the Jewish leader, whose name was Zimri, brought this woman in front of the entire congregation, in front of Moses, and then challenged Moses. Is she permitted? No. Then who permitted your Midianite wife? I mean, that was, and although that was before Sinai, and this is after Sinai. So before Sinai, who was a Jew anyway? It was anyone who just wanted to be part of it. After Sinai, there's a bit of a process. Whatever it is, the, the point of this is, that he was a brazen, a brazen um, sinner, this guy, and thus, indeed, it was justified to do that act of zealotry. Nonetheless, one would be very um, accurate to say that it wasn't an act of peace, right? It was an act of violence that was necessary. But how does it, how does it make sense that God is granting him, therefore, the covenant of peace and making him a Kohen? Which uh, giving him the kuhuna, the covenant of kuhuna, which kuhuna priesthood is all about peace and love. So a guy does, by all accounts, a violent, maybe necessary, but a violent act, and he gets a covenant of peace. He becomes a kohen, which is about peace and love. How does it? How does it? How does it stim? How does it fit together? So I'll I'll share with you what the commentaries say. We have to be careful when we think about peace, right? Peace and love is not always passive. Peace and love sometimes is active and it's sometimes very decisive. I'll give you an example. If God forbid, let's talk about love. Let's talk about love for a second. So love, you would say love disavows violence, right? Love and violence are not compatible. Let me ask a question. If God forbid somebody breaks into someone's home, they have a spouse, they have children there, Right? And that person is bent on, God forbid, murdering the family. Yeah? And in self-defense, right, the, uh, one, of the, one of the parents takes a lethal weapon and, and ends the life of the, of, the, of the assailant. I ask you a question. Is that a violent act? Is that an act of hate? An act of violence or an act of love? So a person might say, well, it's an act of violence. Necessary violence, but violence. But I want to open you up to this conception that maybe it's an act of love. Say, well, where's the love? I'll tell you where the love is. The love of family. Right? The love of family. Do you love your family? Right? How how much, not you, right? Because 
But how much does this person love their family? Do they love their family? Do they love their own life enough to use whatever means necessary, not overblown, but whatever means necessary to end the threat? That's a question. We live in a time when because of the horrors of violence, right? So it's kind of like we want to go the other direction. It's, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, I, if we want to use an extreme example, extreme example, yeah? Hitler, Yamach yeah? Should he have been stopped at all costs? Would we all agree that Hitler should have been stopped? Yes? Sure. Sure. Even if it took, uh, even if it took some, yeah, exactly. Joy's writing example of self-defense. Exactly. And, and so would that be an act of violence, an act of murder, or an act of preservation, self-defense? The answer is self-defense. And self-defense is not motivated by hate or by anger. Hell, I mean, legitimate self-defense is motivated by love. Love of one's own life, love of one's loved one's lives, their family's lives. And, 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 and if, you're, if you're gunning for me, I love myself and my family enough that I'll do whatever it takes to end the threat. Not ending the threat is actually not an act of love. Where's the love to the family? Where's the love to oneself? That would be called into question. So while we have to be extremely careful in application, at its core, what Pinchas did in spearing Zimri and Kazbi, the Jewish prince and the Midianite princess, what he did was driven solely by one consideration. Stop the bleeding. 24,000 Jews had been dying, had died in this plague, and more were set to die. So here's the question. Somebody's doing something wrong that's causing your brothers and sisters to be wiped out. Will you stop it by whatever means necessary? One could argue who said he had to revert to those means to, to stop it. Couldn't he have stopped it by slapping some handcuffs, right, on the guy? I don't have a good answer for that question. And that's why I'm saying as far as application, we have to be extremely careful when applying, you know, you know line for line, the action that we're talking about in, this, in, the, in these parashiot, in these sections, to, to, our, to our lives. But the core idea, number one, to stand up for what's right, to take decisive action when necessary. But also that sometimes, because of love, we have, to, we have to do things that are harsh and uncomfortable, right? That's an important lesson. And that's why he gets the priesthood. And that's also why he's referred to as Pinchas, the son of Elazar, the son of Aaron the Kohen, to remind us that his lineage is Elazar his father and Aaron his grandfather. They were people who loved. He did not do this because he was... Um, because he was an angry guy or because he was a guy with a chip on his shoulder or because he had a violent streak. That's not why he did it. He did it as the son of Elazar and as the grandson of Aaron. He did it because of love. Love of the Jews that were being wiped out because of these actions that were going on. Okay, I hope that makes sense. It's, it's really easy to take this too far and to misconstrue this and to take it out of context and to try to apply it literally in our times and to start, you know, you know, well, then the Torah is advocating violence. 
we have to slow down with the application and just understand the core idea here. Sometimes love dictates decisive action. Maybe not to this extent in normal, normal situations, but sometimes love dictates decisive actions. What's interesting is that Rashi tells us something interesting about the lineage. When the Torah traces the lineage, God actually, it's a quote from God. Rashi says, since the tribes were disparaging him, Pinchas, saying, have you seen the son of Puti? whose mother's father Jethro fattened calves for idols and who killed a chieftain of an Israelite tribe? For this reason, Scripture traces his pedigree to Aaron. As the Rebbe explains and his commentaries explain, the other tribes were going by his mother's lineage. His mother was one of the daughters of Jethro, of Yitro, uh, Moses' father-in-law. And Jethro, of course, as we know, was, uh, was previously, um, he was like a spiritual man who was a priest for idolatry. And he would not only serve idols and, 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 sacrifice, and, and, and bring sacrifices, but he would fatten calves for, 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 the, for the sacrifices. So not just offer animals, which Judaism also has, you know, back in the day, but he would, he would feed them specifically to sacrifice a fatter calf for the idol, which is an act of, which, which Judaism considers to be a cruel act. It's one thing God says, you know, bring a sacrifice. It's one thing, but to fatten the animal and, and, and only to kill it so that it's fatter, that's already a level of cruelty. So they said that the tribes were disparaging Pinchas, saying, you know why he killed, why was he the guy that killed um, Zimri and Cosby? Why was he the guy? The tribes were saying, the other tribes, they were like shushkering, they were like whispering, you know, you know why this guy? Because this guy has a, meat, has a violent streak. His grandfather, Yisro, Jethro, his grandfather was a guy who fattened calves and killed them, slaughtered them. Brutal. So he has that brutal streak. And God says, no, you know who Pinchas is? Not the grandson of Jethro, though he was, but Pinchas, I'm going to trace the other side, on the father's side. Pinchas, son of Elazar, the son of Aaron, the Kohen. Pinchas did not do this because of anger, because of you know, a mean streak, cruelty, but he did it out of love. I hope that makes sense. And that's why, as a reward, he gets the covenant of peace, which almost sounds like an award at this point, but it really means the kahuna of the priesthood. Okay, now we get any questions, comments thus far? Does it make sense? Jump in. Okay. Actually, I have, have, have one question. Sure. And I think I've heard the answer before, but it's, this still brings it back up. So why is it in Judaism that we trace the lineage the of, the, of the child to the mother and not the father? Jewish identity goes by the mother. Tribal identity goes by the father. So it really works both. Now, nowadays, tribal identity is not necessarily, well, it's not necessarily known, nor is it a big deal. Unless you're a Kohen or a Levi, then it's a big deal. And we have ten, 10 lost tribes, which makes essentially tracing which tribe one is from a little bit easier because there are literally 10 of the 12 that are lost. So today, the father's role is a little bit less particular. But I, I want to tell you this, okay? So when it, the fact that you're a Levi, Mark, means that you're going patrilineal. Was your mother a Levi, the daughter of a Levi? 
No. No. So the fact that you're Levi means you're going by, by your father. So it's a misnomer to say that Judaism only goes by the mother. Judaism goes by both. The core is from the mother. So yes, that is true. The core identity, core Jewish identity, is the mother. But tribal identity, which was a big deal, and even today, Cohen Levi is a, is, is, is a deal, a big deal, that goes by the father. So here, um, it, Pinchas could be traced both ways. His mother's side or his father's side. God says, I, I want to emphasize the fact that he did it out of love, so let me show you how he's the grandson of Aaron, not the grandson of Jethro. But it's a good question. But essentially, it's really both. All right. Now the Torah names names. In case you were wondering, you know, oh, my gosh, who was, who did that? Rabbi? Yeah, Donna. Where does it say exactly what Pincus did? Oh. oh, good. At the end of last week's portion. The end of last week's portion. Let me pull it up quickly. The power of... The power of... Um, of the internet, we'll pull it up super fast, right? Take a look-see at this. Boom, the last, whoops, it's reading number one. Let's go to seventh reading. The end of the seventh reading, it says, Pinchas arose from the congregation, took a spear in his hand. He went after the Israelite man into the chamber and drove it through both of them. The Israelite man and the woman through her stomach and the plague ceased. And that, and there were 24,000 that died. That's the end, literally the end of, la, of the last Torah portion, and the, um, which leads directly into this Torah portion. Um, exactly. Joy, you and I are in the same boat. Your, mother's, your mother came from a Kohen family, but your brother wasn't a Kohen because your dad wasn't. Same thing with me. My mother, my, my grandfather was a Kohen. So my mother was the daughter of a Kohen, but my father is not a Kohen. So I'm not a Kohen. So yeah, it definitely goes by, there's a, there's a lot that goes by the father, even though the core identity is the mother. By the way, in Kabbalah and Hasidus, the Rebbe speaks a lot about this. You know, the role of a mother, of a father, of, you know, core identity, tribal identity, like various themes and tying it into, you know, various Jewish themes and symbols it's a very cool conversation. Um, anyway, but I don't want to do a deep dive into that right now. That's uh, perhaps for another time. So let's jump back in. Where are we here? Oh, let's name names. The name of the Israelite man who was killed. He wasn't just an Israelite man. He was the leader of... Oh, it says here. Um, so the name of the Israelite man who was killed, who was slain with the Midianite woman. What was his name? His name was Zimri, the son of Salu. And he was the chieftain. I mentioned Don. I, I, I said I misspoke last week on Friday. He was the chieftain of the Simeonite paternal house, Shimon. He was the chief of the tribe of Simeon or Shimon. And the name of the Midianite woman who was slain, her name was Cosby, the daughter of Tzur, a national leader of a paternal house in Midian. She was also a very prominent person. She was a princess. Okay, now, here we go. Here we go. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Distress the Midianites, and you shall smite them. In other words, at this point, they started up with you, 
they sent their daughters to entice idolatry, immorality, adultery, etc. They, they went after you. At this point, you need to go after them. Distress the Midianites and you shall smite them. For they distress you with their plots, which they contrived against you in the incident of Pa'ar, that's the idol, and in the incident of Cosby, their sister, the daughter of the Midianite chieftain, who was slain on the day of the plague that had come because of Pa'ar. I need to tell you a little bit about Pa'ar, the idol. Okay. You ready about this? Now, I, I just have to caution that this is going to be gross. And I'm going to try to use the, the, the language, the least gross language that I can conjure up. But stay with me. I think it's important to understand this because it's, uh, it's, it's the history here. It's the story. And it also has a lesson for us. How, there, was an, there was an idol, idol that was called Pa'ar. It was a pagan idol that the Midianites worshipped and they brought to the Jews in this incident with the women. Remember I told you that they, the women would engage with the men and they would start and then they would say, if you want to continue, then you have to worship this, etc. How was the Pa'ar worshipped? It was worshipped by... Um, eliminating before it by by um, what's the word I'm looking for by relieving oneself but uh, more excreting before it that's how it was served yeah sorry for getting detailed here but I feel like it's important to understand what's going on so where does that come from so the, the legend, or at least the story that's brought down in the Jewish sources is that the original worshippers of the Pa'ar, they would be so overwhelmed by the Pa'ar that they couldn't hold their bodily functions, and that would happen. But the next generation saw their parents worshipping Pa'ar and thought, well, then that's how you worship it, and just took the external right, without the reverence for it. I'm not saying that it should have been revered or any of this should have happened. Obviously not. It's an idol. It's a false idol. But that's the way that the Pa'ar was worshipped. And so when the women, when the women came, to, came to the men and said, okay, this, this, worship it. The men said, how do you worship it? They said, do this. So some of them thought, well, maybe it's not a big deal or whatever it is or it's like so bizarre or whatever. Nonetheless, it is, of course, problematic because even without bowing down to an idol, idolatry is considered to be worshipping that idol the way it's typically worshipped. The Rebbe takes a lesson from this also, by the way, a positive lesson on some level and says, or a negative lesson that leads to a positive lesson, which is that when it comes to our service, we shouldn't just do the actions. We should have the meaning behind it, right? We shouldn't just be in it on the external action level, like the worshipers of Pa'ar after that initial generation, but we should be, when we serve God, true God, right? We should be, we should know what we're doing, not just in action, but also a full experience, spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, and then obviously also in action. Anyway, just a little bit about the Pa'ar, and 24,000 died because of this, and therefore God says, go after the Midianites and smite them. Okay. Yes, makes sense. Sort of. Chapter I mean, is that, Rabbi? Which chapter is what? 
That's it's uh, the details are in are in the are in the the Torah Shabbat Par and the, the oral Torah. It's in the midrash. It's in the commentaries. Maybe the Talmud. I don't remember the exact source, but it's there. It's uh, that's that's how the par was was worshipped. The Torah doesn't doesn't tell us this directly. The Torah just says the par was an idol and uh, and and it led to tremendous loss of life. Um, but the sages our sages tell us the details. Okay, back inside. Numbers chapter 26, it was after the plague. Ari, can I interrupt you one second? Yeah, for sure. There's an interesting Mabrashi on, on, on this. Two things. First, it says that uh, the extent of the hatred of the Midianites toward Israel was such that they cast loose the daughter of a king to harlotry yeah. in order to make Israel sin. Right. They sent, they sent the most important uh, princess to get the Jewish people to sin, exactly. Yeah. That. Uh, yeah, but the other thing it says is, even though it says uh, uh, it's a smite the Midianites, whatever, it says God did not command Israel to destroy Moab, the house right. of Ruth, who was destined to emerge from them. Beautiful. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. So if you recall, there were two nations that were partners in this crime. It was Moab. The Balak, the king from last week, was the king of Moab. And the Midianites, they were the partner here. It happened to be that this Cosby was a Midianite princess, but God only says go after the Midianites, not the Moabites, even though they were the ones that hired Balaam the prophet and had also sent their, their daughters to entice the Jewish people into sin, etc. Nonetheless, only the Midianites. And Mark is pointing out, based on our sages, that it's because Moab needed to be around because Ruth needed to come from Moab and convert and be the mother of King David uh, the grandmother of King David and the grandmother of Mashiach, etc. A very important person. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. All right, now let's jump into Numbers chapter 26. Here we go. It was after the plague that the Lord spoke to Moses and to Elazar, the son of Aaron, the Kohen, saying the following. Take a census. Hey, we are in the book of Numbers, so now we have to take another census. Remember, we're at the end of the four years. There was just a plague. Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel from 20 years old and upwards, Again, the same deal, 20 to 60, following their father's houses, all that are fit to go out to war in Israel. Basically, military age eligible men amongst the Jewish people. So it's not going to be the full count. It's just going to be this very specific slice. Moses and Elisha the Kohen spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan of Jericho, saying, from the age of 20 and upward, as the Lord commanded Moses and the children of Israel who, who had come out of Egypt. So basically, they called everybody to assembly and said, all right, y'all being counted. And here we have the count. This is today's reading. Let's jump right in. Numbers chapter 26, verse 5. Reuben, Israel's firstborn. Here we have the family tree. The descendants of Reuben were the family of the Hanochites from Hanoch, the family of Paluites from Palu, the family of Chetzronites from Chetzron, the family of Carmites from Carmi. By the way, I'm sure you've noticed that we don't have, these are not, Jewish names anymore. Like, when was the last? Actually, I'm sorry. Chanoch is. This is. But Palu? Ah, I never heard any, anyone named Palu. Chetzron? Uh, Carmi? Actually, I've heard of a Carmi. There's a local rabbi whose name is that. There were the families. These were the families of the Reubenites. And they numbered 40. Okay, here, here's the number. 43,730. Okay. 
The sons of Palu were Eliab, the sons of Eliab were Nemuel, Datan, and Abiram. Ooh, these were those guys that caused problems. There, Datan and Abiram, the chosen of the congregation who incited against Moses and Aaron in the assembly of Korach, when they incited against the Lord, they were part of that whole rebellion, attempted coup with Korach. They got swallowed up. Oh, here we go. Verse 10. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them. And Korach, when, the, when that assembly died, and when fire destroyed 250 men, and they became a sign, kind of a sign, like a warning sign, that no one should start up with Moses and Aaron. Korach's sons, however, did not die. Wow, I love how Torah puts this in right here. It's like, oh, by the way, speaking of the tribe of Reuben, and Datan and Abiram, who died, there were others involved initially in the plot, like Korach's own sons, that did not die. What happened? So I, I don't know if it's here that Rashi says. Um, yeah, here we go. Take a look. Korach's sons did not die. Rashi says they were originally involved in the conspiracy or coup, right? But during the dispute, they contemplated repentance Therefore, an elevated area was set apart for them in Gehinnom, and they stayed there. The earth opened up. They fell into the earth. But in the last second, they, they thought like, oh boy, we regret this. And a platform miraculously was set up so they didn't fall all the way down into the bowels of the earth. And ultimately, listen to this, it gets crazier. Ultimately, according to our tradition, they climbed out from the earth and got married, and had children. And thus, there is a psalm that talks about Livnei Korach Mizmashir, the sons of Korach, who sing songs and praise to God. They did teshuva. And this tells us the power of teshuva, that even if it's in one's thoughts, they didn't do anything. They didn't say sorry to Moses and Aaron. They just had a thought of regret that was enough to spare them from that ultimate punishment. The Rebbe points out, that since their repentance was hidden, their salvation was also hidden, right? In other words, they didn't do like, they didn't go on an apology tour before the earth opened up, right? They didn't, they didn't say publicly, they didn't take out a front page in the Desert Times and say, to, to say, you know, public announcement, we're sorry, we're backing off, Moses and Aaron are legit. They didn't do that. Last second, they had in their, in their own minds, they had thoughts of repentance, and thus it was hidden because it was in their own heads. No one knew that they had repentance. The Rebbe explains that's why their salvation also happened under the ground. So everyone thought that they were punished, but they were spared. And ultimately, they came out. And as they came out, it was also understood that they had done repentance. Power of repentance, even in one's mind. So what's the, what's the moral of the story? There's always hope. <laughs> even in the last moment, even in one's mind, there's always hope. You know, I think it's very important because a lot of times people say, not, not about, you know, you know, horrible evil, but like just thinking about themselves or thinking about loved ones. Like, you know, there was, there was some stuff, unfinished business. I wonder if they ever made amends or whatever it is. And now we have a beautiful teaching that says, even if even one's thoughts in their own minds at the last moment, it counts. So it's powerful and it counts. Let's continue with Shimon, the second tribe. The descendants of Shimon, Simeon, according to their families, the family of Numuelites from Numuel, the family of the Jamanites from Jamin or Yamin, the family of the Jachanites from Jachin. I, you know, this English business with the J's instead of the Y's, I don't even understand it. I, I have a, this is a general point. I am not sure why in English the name is changed. I have no idea why it's changed. 
Like, what is wrong with Moshe that it has to, that has to be Moses? I, I, I don't even, like, that's the dude's name, right? It's like, my name is Ari, and you know what my English name is? Yeah. Ari. Same, exactly. It's Ari. It's not, like, and I understand, like, now in modern times, because parents want to, you know, give more names, you know, as a tribute, so they'll do a Hebrew name and an English name. They're different. But I, I've never really wrapped my head around why you got a name, so, like, why modify it? Because it's a different language. It's like, yeah, you know, we're going to change your name. Why? Because I speak a different language than you. So, like, why, why is Jachin easier pronounced than Yachin? Again, I'm, I'm like, pet peeve, not understanding this, but we're going for it. Let's continue. Yeah, Donna, go ahead. Um, can you just elaborate? So, where do we see on the reading... I mean, I liked your explanation, but I'm, I'm not really following it on the reading about making amends and how it might be internal. Korach's sons did not die, and Rashi says, why not? They were involved originally in the conspiracy, but during the dispute, they contemplated repentance. It, de- it doesn't even say they did repentance. It doesn't say they did shuva. It says, hear haru shuva, believam. They had thoughts of repentance. And the message, the moral of the story is that even thoughts of repentance, even contemplation of repentance, spare their lives. And that is, God accepts even contemplations of repentance. Usually repentance involves cutting ties with the negative behavior and making amends and taking a pledge for the future to be different. This was like, what have we done? This was a mistake in their heads. And that was enough to save them. So the moral of... Yeah. Situations, you know, regardless of what the outside looks or how, how or the mechanics or you know internally, if one wanted to reconnect. Yes, I think, and I'm sorry if you're hearing a weird sound. I'm also hearing a weird sound. Um, but here's the point. Here's the point. No one knows what's going on in someone's head, and that's why I mentioned like. You know, we wonder, like, did this person, you know, how, how, how did they go? Did they go, you know, still stuck in their ways? Or did they do tshuva? And we'll never know, and it's really not for us to know. But one thing we do know is that it's, number one, it's never too late. As long as one has even a, one last breath, it's never too late. And tshuva doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that you would know, that you and I would know about it. It could be in, one, in, in a person's own thoughts in their head or in their heart. And that we see here from, from the sons of Korach whose lives were spared. This is from the Talmud. This is not Rashi inventing this. This is Sanhedrin 110b. This is straight up Talmud. The Talmud says that Korach's sons were spared. God saved their lives. Why? Because they contemplated repentance. And that shows the power of tshuva even in one's head. So that's where we see it. Um, okay. L- yes. I've got a note on that. Yes. It says from Sanhedrin, it says it is not clear. But anyway, it says alternatively, jump to this. Alternatively, the verse could have said, but the sons of Korach lived. The phrase did not die implies that they neither lived nor died, but rather they existed in abeyance in a high place in Gehenna. This, because their repentance was not complete, they merely had thoughts of repentance in their heart. Right. That is the traditional way of understanding it. The Rebbe flips it. The Rebbe says, not look at how their repentance was not complete. 
Look at the power of repentance to schlep someone from certain Gehenim doom into a, safe, into a place of safety. By the way, my understanding, even though it's not from that text, it's, it's not implicit in that text, my understanding is, as I mentioned before, they did climb out and they did have families with children. And, and, and that's why their kids are counted amongst the count a little bit later. Like they, they become full-fledged members of the community. They made it out. That's my understanding of it. Which means that for the, for the temporary time, they were hidden, but for the... Does it say where that angle comes from? Is that straight Talmud or was that a commentary in, th in that note that you have? This says, uh, first it says Megillah 14a, then Sanhedrin 110a. Right. Uh, and then it ends uh, with Gorariya. Gur Gorariya, yeah. That's the Marala Prague, the creator of the Golem. Yeah, the Marala Prague is giving that answer. My, my recollection is that the Rebbe gives a little bit of a twist on that and, and, and really um, pushing the value of the tshuva that they did as opposed to the, the, defic the deficiency of the tshuva. Anyway, but I, either way, it's a fascinating topic. Here we go. Let's continue inside. The descendants of Shimon, Simeon, according to their families, the family of their mullet. Oh, we did that already. Um, verse 13. The family of these Zerachites from Zerach, the family of Shaolites from Shaol, these are the families of the Simonites, Shimonites, 22,400. Next, the sense of God, according to their families, the family of Tzifonites from Tzifon, the family of the Chagites from Chagi, the family of Shunites from Shuni, the family of Oznites from Ozni, the family of the Arites from Eri, the family of the Ararites from Arod, the family of the Arielites from Areli. These are the families of God according to those of them counted 40,500. That was a big family. The sons of Judah, aha, Yehuda, were Aaron Onan, but Aaron Onan died in the land of Canaan. Remember, they were married to this woman. They both died. The descendants of Judah according to their families, the family of the Shelanites from Shelah, the family of the Perizzites from Perez, the family of the Zerachites from Zerach, the descendants of Peretz were the family of the Chetzronites from Chetzron, the family of the, the Hamulites from Hamul or Hamul. These are the families of Judah, according to that, those of them counted, 76,500. That's a big tribe. The descendants of Issachar, according to their families, the family of the Tola, Tola, Tolaites. Tolaites. From Tola, the family of the Punites from Puna. Oh, Puva. No, that's a mistake. It's not Punites. It's Puvites. Again, the whole thing sounds a little bizarre, but whatever. The family of, it's Puva. Not Puna, it's Puva. That's a, that's a typo here. Someone should contact about that org over here. It's the family of Puvites from Puva. Uh, the family of Jashubites, Yashuv from Yashuv. The family of the Shimronites from Shim, Shimronites from Shimron. These are the families of Issachar according to those of them counted. 64,300. Next, the descendants of Zebulun. Yes. My translation says to Puva, the Punite family. Oh, you're right. All right, cancel the email. Sorry, I read it wrong. That's so funny because I'm like, they read it wrong, and I'm like, meanwhile, I'm reading it wrong. So this is Fuva, and this is Puni. Correct. We could call them the Punites, and they were the creators of the puns, but I don't believe that that's what's going on here. The Punites. Yes, the Puva and the Punites. Go figure. Okay. Cancel the, <laughs> the mistake, my mistake. They got it right. Let's continue. 
The descendants of Zebulun, according to their families, the family of the Sarites from Sarah, the family of the Elonites from Elon, the family of the Jachliites from Jachlil, or Yachlil. The, these are the families of Zebulun, according to those of them. Counted 60,500, the descendants of Joseph. Ah, Yosef, according to their families, Manasseh and Ephraim. The sons of Manasseh, the family of the Machirites from Machir, the Machir's son was Gilead, the family of the Gileads from Gilad. These were the family of the descendants of Gilead, the family of the Lazarites. Can we just say... Yo. The family of the Lazarites from Lazar? It's Iezer, Mishpachas Ha-Iezreeli. Can we say Iz... I- Oh, it's Eezer. It's an I. Okay, there we go. It's an I. There we go. It's an I, not an L. It looked like a lowercase L. Um, Eezerites from Eezer, the family of the Hel. I told you it's harder to read in English than the Hebrew with these names. The family of Helakites. Helakites from Helak, the family of the Asrielites from Asriel, the family of the Shechemites from Shechem. Oh, the family of the Shemidites from Shemira, the family of the Heferites from Hefer, Hefer. Now, Tzalafchad, the son of Hefer, had no sons, only daughters, and the names of Tzalafchad's daughters were Machla, Noah, Chagla, Milcha, and Tirza, Milcha, and Tirza. These were the families of, these were the girls that complained because there were no sons, only daughters, and their father died, and they went to the peace of the land of Israel. Remember that? So these were, that's why they're getting a shout out, because they were, they were rock stars who added a law and Torah. These are the families of Manasseh, and those of them counted were 52,700. All right, we're making our way through, guys. It's happening. Whew, long sentence. These are the sentence of Ephraim, according to their families, the family of a Shuthal. Okay, Shuthelach, Shuthelites from Shuthela. The family of the Bachrites from Bechar, so much easier in the Hebrew, the family of the Tachanites from Tachan. These are the sentence of Shuthelach. The family of the Aaronites of Aaron, these are the families of the sons of Ephraim, according to those counted, 32,500. These are the sons of Joseph, according to their families. Okay, sons of Benjamin, according to their families, the family of Baalites from Bela, the family of the Ashbelites from Ashbel, the family of the Achiramites from Achiram, the family of the Shufamites from Shufam, the family of the Huchufamites from Hufam. The sons of Bela were Ard and Naaman, the family of Ardites from Ard, the family of Namite from Naaman. These are the sons of Benjamin, according to their families, and those in the counter were 45,600. Sense of Don, according to their families, the family of the Shuchamites from Shucham, they were the families of Don, all the Shuchamite families, according to, the, according to those of them counted, 64,400. The sense of Asher, according to their families, the family of Jimna, Yimna, the, uh, from Yimna, the family of the Yishvites from Yishvi, the family of the Bereites from Berea. Sense of Bria, the family of the Heberites, Heberites from Heber, the family of the Machliites from Alchiel. The name of Asher's daughter was Serach. Oh, that's cool. Serach. She was amazing. Usher's daughter, Sarah. She was the one that broke the news to Jacob that Joseph was still alive. She was a musician. She went to her grandfather. Right? Sarah was the daughter of Usher, who was the son of Jacob. So all the way back, when Joseph was a viceroy in Egypt and his family didn't know and the brothers went down to buy food and he what put the... name again? Sarah, right here. Sarah. It's highlighted... It's Sarah here, but it's Sarah or Sarah in Sarah in the Hebrew. Sarah. Sarah, Sarah. Um, she was the one who played music. Joseph is still alive and broke the news, and her grandfather blessed her with long life because of her act of compassion. She lived many years. In fact, she was the one who told 
Moses where Joseph was laid to rest because they wanted to take out Joseph's remains. They didn't know where. And so she said, go to the Nile River. That's where he is. And then Moses put down the piece of paper that said, rise ox, and the remains rose, as we've discussed before. These were the families of the sons of Asher, according to those of them counted, 53,400, the sons of Naphtali, according to their families, the family of Yachtzilites from Yachtzil, the family of the Gunites from Guni, the family of the Yitzrites from Yitzra, the family of the Shilimites from Shilim. These are the families of Naphtali, according to their families, and those of them counted were 45,400, these are those counted of the children of Israel. The final tally is of the tribes, not including the priests or the Levites, not including the men over 60 or the women or the children. What is the total tally of men military age from the non-Levitic or priestly tribes? 601,736,01730 was the tally. That's why the book of Numbers is called Numbers, because there's all these censuses that happen throughout the book. This was the latest census. So what's the moral of the story? <sighs> moral of the story is, these names are hard to pronounce. But the other moral of the story is, as we started today's session with, it's important to fight for what's right. It's important to love what's right enough that you'll stand up for it. Because if you don't stand up for what you love, let me put it more neutral. If one does not stand up for what they love, the question is, do they really love it? How much do you love it? To what extent will you go for, or will you go to, due to your love? Will you go all the way, or not all the way? How much do you love? Pinchas loved the Jewish people to the point that he was willing to do something that was against his nature, being the grandson of Aaron. It went against his nature to engage in a violent act. He didn't have a mean streak in him. He did something completely against his nature in order to spare the lives of those he loved. This is a message for us about love. It's not that he was the guy who was always looking for a fight. You know, you have people that always, they're the ones that always get indignant. And you wonder, are they really indignant about the, th about the cause? Or are they just like a fight? You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, somebody's always getting upset about things. Is it really about the cause or is it just the personality thing? But with Pinchas, it wasn't a personality thing. His personality was peace and love. He went against his personality to spare the lives of those he loves. And that is a message for us. Also a message with the par, don't just copy the mechanics. Recognize what it's about. Not to serve idols, God forbid, but in our worship of God, let's not be about the mechanics solely. Let's be about the depth of the experience. And the third lesson of today was about the sons of Korach. Never too late. We should never judge someone else a book by their cover. We don't know what's going on in a person's mind or heart. We should always judge favorably. And as I said a moment ago, it's never too late. Thank you for joining me today for DPP. A bit of an experimental version of DPP. Yes, Mark, jump in. Yeah, the Rashi on 36, uh, where it says, and these are the sons of uh, uh, Shusel or whatever. 
It goes on. Essentially says you will um, essentially says there are sixty-five. It says you will find this this jump to the middle. You will find in this passage fifty-seven families. And from the sons of Levi, another eight. Hmm. There you have a total of sixty-five. This is Rashi. There you have a total of sixty-five. Uh, but then it says, jump, jumping down the list, says, "But you are lacking five, for from the total from the total number of the families of all the nations." Seventy, right? 70. So right. Who the five? That's my question. I don't know. I'm not sure. I have to look at that Rashi and look at it. I'll, I'll take a look. I'll let you know. Hopefully by tomorrow I'll have I'll have something on that. But I think it's cool that there were fifty-seven non-Levite families. Which is the same numerology as Heinz, 57 varieties. Heinz, of course, being a Pittsburgh company. All right, with that, we will conclude. Mark, I'll look into it, please, God. Don't forget, tomorrow. Yes? Can I just, do you have a moment after class? Can I give you a quick call? Um, I'm stepping into a meeting, but call me, um, call me in about an hour. Can you call me in about an hour? Yes, definitely. Perfect, awesome. Okay, good. All right, so thank you for joining me today. And t- tonight, I think we don't have anything tonight. Tomorrow night, we tomorrow we're back on with this. Curious Tales of the Talmud tomorrow night, Thursday at launch of our brand new resurrection course. Also this Wednesday, please God, we I believe we should be in person for DPP. Um, I believe we have to do it indoors. Um, so if you'd like to join, that's the plan. I'll, I'll confirm tomorrow. Jeff's place, Jeff's place. That's the plan. Jeff's place with the lunches, whoever wants to order from, from, uh, from what's it called? The Comfort Spicy Peach. Um, I'm going to send out a formal email to really announce it or whatever soon and not for this week. I want to do an announcement about in general classes returning in person Sunday morning and Wednesday night and then this Wednesday class that we're talking about at DPP on Wednesday. So we're going to send out an announcement email. Um, we'll also be, you know, sim- simulcasting as well. Um, you know, for those that, that can't make it online. But the point really is that, um, what's the point? That we're getting back in the person. point, yes, the point is that we're getting back in person. Yes. All right. All right. We'll see you guys. Take care. Have a good one. Talk soon. All right. Bye-bye.